Well, I figured we would put you to sleep this morning if I stood up here and read all those names, but this is a very, very important passage of Scripture. It actually establishes a foundation of of what we believe as followers of Christ. So Matt is going to sing a most unique song this morning, and I am going to walk you through the genealogy, and this is going to give you the answers to your family tree. Okay, so I want you to walk through the genealogy. Here's the little chart, and Matt's going to sing it for you. Afterwards, we'll show you the answers up on the screen, but Matt's going to sing first. Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar. Perez he brought Hezron up and then came. Abraham then Abinadab and Nashan, who was then the dad of Salmon, with Rahab father Boaz. Ruth she married Boaz, who had Obed, who had Jesse. Jesse he had David, who we know as king. David he had Solomon by Tanurite's wife. Solomon, well, you all know him. He had good old Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, had Uzziah, who had Jonah, then Ahaz and Hezekiah. Followed by Manasseh, who had Amon, who was a man, who was father of a good boy named Josiah. Father Jehoiachem, who calls the Babylonian captivity because he was a liar. Actually, that last part wasn't true, it just rhymed with the rest of the song. Then he had Shealtiel, who begins to rub well, who had Abiyad, who had Eliakim. Oh, there we go, yeah. Eliakim had Azar, who had Zadok, who had Achim. Holidays are a time when people remember. We recall unique experiences with family and friends. We remember unexpected gifts, both good and bad. And there are those memories that may cause us to long for what no longer is. There is wisdom to be gained from memories. Let us explore the wisdom we can receive from the memories of the story of the birth of Christ. clap if you have read the book The Giver by Lois Lowry or if you have seen the movie. 
Okay, so a, a decent representation here. Uh, it is a movie that just came out on DVD this weekend, actually. It is based off of a book that is popular in young adult circles. In fact, most of our schools require their students to read it. You see, it is about a utopian world. It's about a perfect society. And there are leaders of the society called elders. And basically, what they have done is they have created the society where there is no choice at all, period. They've created a safe place. There's no pride. There's no envy. There's no prejudice. There's no pain. There also exists in the minds of the people no memories whatsoever. No one has any memories. They live in this very black and white world. They see no color. They feel no passion, no love, no excitement. Now granted, they don't feel any pain and sadness. They receive injections every morning that keeps them from feeling and experiencing. But in order to not experience any pain, they also don't get to experience any joy. This message series that we're going to be doing throughout the month of December in the season of Advent, and Advent means preparation, waiting on the celebration of the coming of the Christ child, Emmanuel, God with us. As we walk through these next Sundays together, we are going to be looking at what does it mean to gain wisdom from our memories. Because you see, memories are important. They do a lot of things. They do a lot of good. They also have potential to bring us a lot of pain. It's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Probably most of you got together at some point over this past week with someone that is your family or if not your blood relative, family in the heart. We all have people in our lives that mean something to us whether it is immediate family or just people that we've grown to love by doing life together. I think that's what family is. And so this morning as we look at Jesus' family over the course of thousands of years, all those names on those white pieces of paper, they were real people and they mattered. They mattered so much because you see it did start with Abraham, Abram, Abraham, Father Abraham, who received this call from God to just go, leave it all behind and just go follow me. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And so from that, from that call uttered by God, we trace it all through those lines of people, generation after generation after generation, and it ends and begins with the person Jesus. We have that same ancestry, that same heritage. You see, if you trace your family tree, you can you know, go and see where you came from, where your descendants are from, etc. But 
do we ever really think what that means to us? What do we learn from our family lineage? What do we learn from our history? What do we bring away from our memories? What wisdom do we gain? I hope by the end of the message this morning that we each take a look in our own lives and we look at what wisdom we can gain from our memories with our family. And then I really hope that you walk away and you understand what all those names had to do with it. Why did Matthew start his gospel, the very first one in the New Testament, why did he start it this way? Truthfully, in my ADD-ness, I really have never read every single name. I'm sure over time in each sitting that I've tried to read them, I've probably read them. But to sit and read through all those names, most of whom I can't pronounce a minibad. I like to say it, but I mean, really? My mind starts to wonder. But you know what? Those people are important. And the memories of their lives and what they did, it's important. Honestly, it shapes everything. So I want us to walk away with what the genealogy of Jesus really means for us and what wisdom can we take away from that memory. One of the things that happens in life when we, as families, go from this place, this part of our life, to the next part where we experience the fullness of the kingdom of God, when we move from our earthly human existence to the church triumphant, when we die, we leave behind a legacy. We leave behind who we were, who we poured ourselves into, and we leave behind some stuff. One of the saddest things that I think I see in life and have lived through within my own Jerry Springerness of a family is that when people die, it is an unfortunate tendency of us to bicker over stuff. One of the things that I've always appreciated about my stepsister is that we have said whenever my father My biological father, her stepdad, moves from this life to experience the fullness of the kingdom that she and I will not bicker about the stuff. Her mom's stuff, my dad's stuff, that relationships matter too much. I've seen families split over that. So why? Do they split because they really want the stuff for money? To get rich quick? I don't think so, actually. Because the families that I've watched experience this, and and even some of my own, remember my mom died when I was young, so I watched all that happen with a very different perspective. We fight over the ability to have access to memories. We were going to do a, a parody this morning, like a little skit and have a gift and all that kind of stuff, but it just didn't feel right uh, to make a, a skit or a drama out of things that are dear to my family and my extended family, Scott's family. Scott's mother passed away several years ago, and last year after Christmas, Scott's dad wanted the grandchildren to all have a piece of a memory. 
And so after we celebrated Christmas together, he began to give away some of Mary Lynn's things. Now, none of us expected this to happen. We were all actually very confused. And then I was personally concerned that this was going to become a sad experience because Scott's mom died very unexpectedly. But you know what? Our memories can bring us joy. They don't have to bring us sadness. It's at what angle we look at them and what perspective we bring. So... This morning, I wanted to share with you two things that were a part of Scott's mom's legacy for my, our daughter, Lane. One is an angel pen. Now, it's a firefighter because all of Scott's family, uh, they're firefighters in Greensboro and Pleasant Garden. And so Mary Lynn, Scott's mom, used to call all of the grandchildren her little angels, which we always would laugh because they were really anything but. I mean, they're normal kids, you know. But she always called them my little angels. And so Scott's dad asked if any of the grandkids wanted the pen. And Lane chose it because she remembered her grandmother saying, you're an angel, you're one of mine. That stuck with her. That was her memory. And then... This. It's okay to laugh. <laughs> this actually was what made it just a joyful time. Because you see, Scott's mother wore absolutely the tackiest Christmas sweaters ever. And she owned it. She claimed it. And now, apparently, it is very trendy to own a tacky Christmas sweater. So much so that I invite you, if you are going to attend the glow stick service that we have uh, on Christmas Eve Eve, it's our fun Christmas service that we end with the message and, and the point of Christmas. But I invite you, find a, find a tacky sweater. This one has its own little magic snowflake, snowflake zipper. Lane and her cousin joyfully took turns bartering over the tacky Christmas sweaters. Why? Because you see, they remembered. They remembered times of laughter and times of joy and picking and fun, making fun of in love and in jest Scott's mom with her bizarre sweaters. It was a good memory. Even, and listen, This is what matters. Even in the sadness, there's joy in memories. Now, in this giver, the book, the movie, they have a utopian world. It's perfect. It's controlled. We don't have that here today. Our world's messed up. We have people that... uh, are serving our armed forces in places of war within our own nation. We're not a nation of peace. There is no controlled environment. There is pain. There is anger. There is prejudice. All those things that did not exist in this perfect world and the giver, they exist now in our world. So what do we do? Well, we learn. 
And that's the beauty, I think, of things like the giver and also the scripture this morning. You see, we have the opportunity to learn. We have an opportunity to walk away with a bigger part of the message. I want you to take a look at this clip. I want to set it up for just a second for those of you who have not seen the movie. Jonas is an 11-year-old boy, and he everybody gets assigned a task. You don't get to grow up and choose what you want to do for the rest of your life. When you turn 12, you go to this special ceremony, and you are given a job. And it's going to be your job for the rest of your life, and you're going to do it until you are returned to elsewhere, and that really actually translates to death. But you're going to do this job... And remember, there's no, like, happy, sad. So it's just a matter of fact. He's getting ready, you know, to receive his assignment. And then he goes and he gets his assignment. And he ends up being the receiver. Now, what it means to be the receiver is that in this community and this world, there exists one person that holds all of the memories for all of the people. He's called the giver. He holds all the happiness and the joy and the passion and the love inside of him, in his mind and in his soul. But he also holds within him all of the pain and all of the sadness and agony so that the people don't have to experience it. So... When Jonas goes to meet with his new mentor to learn what his job is going to be as the receiver of memory, the clip that you're getting ready to see is at the beginning of the movie. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at different parts of the movie and and also different parts of the Christmas story because I'm not preaching the movie, I'm preaching the story. But you'll see, I hope in a minute, the parallel between the two. The clip you're getting ready to see shows what happens when you go from a black and white world where there's no feeling and emotion to experiencing what passion and love and hope brings. I want you to take a look at this clip. We've already covered seeing beyond. There is also such a thing as hearing beyond. The table? All the food would slide to the floor. Now, don't judge me. I'm not very good, even though I had a very good teacher. when I hit the right keys. Something lives deep inside you. Something 
those morning injections take away. I thought the injections are for our health. No, they remove something. What? Emotions. You mean like feelings? Feelings are just fleeting on the surface. But emotions, they're very deep, primal, they linger. might not understand where you are or what's happening, but don't think about what you're seeing. Listen. Listen to what's calling from inside. Anyone want to get rid of this? Good question. So. We've already covered seeing beyond. Matthew 1.1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's how Matthew begins telling the story of the person, the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of Abraham. Jesus, the Messiah. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, an account of the genealogy. Why? And what does it mean? Well, if you look at the translation, the Greek translation of those words, an account of means actually it translates to the word Genesis. And then if you do further exegetical work on the words in Genesis and what it means, it means a translation of the story. Now, sometimes when I say scripture, you know, if we look at the story, that becomes offensive to some. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Are you saying it's not true? Because, you know, we grew up listening to people tell us stories. No, that's not it at all. But if you look, Matthew is giving us an account of the genealogy, of the record, of the genesis, of the beginning, of the whole, of the story. And it is telling us that Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, comes in the form of a baby, traced down from generation after generation, from the father, Father Abraham, 
the one who followed God's call, the one who took the polytheistic world that they lived in where they believed and worshipped in lots of gods. And Abraham is the first one to understand one God. So an account, a story of Jesus, this person, Jesus, becoming the Christ, the Messiah, It's important to note that the words Christ and Messiah are not a part of his name. It's not like Andrea Smith, Jesus Christ, and those two things don't even remotely go together, but it's not his last name. Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. And both of those titles are used interchangeably in whichever translation that you read. But they both, whether it's in the Greek or the Hebrew, they both mean the same thing. The anointed one. The anointed one. So Matthew, the whole book of Matthew, it begins with this is an account. This is the creation. This is the beginning of the story of the person, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one who comes and lives among us. God with us and brings the kingdom of God here and now and both yet to come. Why does it matter? Why did, why did he put all those names? Was it just to impress the other writers of the time? No, Matthew was writing to a very specific audience. He was writing to the Jewish people And what do we know? Because, you see, we can see the rest of the story. We see the whole picture, which actually that was what Matthew was trying to do. He was trying to help them understand this is a big picture from beginning, from the creation, from God, the giver, the real giver and lover of life and all that it means and all that it is from then Till the end. Because you see, when Matthew's writing, there was an end. Jesus, the person Jesus, that he traces the genealogy, was no longer there. But Matthew knew the rest of the story, and so do we. We know that in death comes life. And resurrection means new. New love, new Power, new presence, new hope. And so what Matthew is trying to do in a world where there was the Jewish people who were the covenant people of Abram or Abraham, Matthew lays out the whole line of Jesus' family to make a point. Actually makes several. But the main point was this baby brought it all together and changed the world and changed the way they viewed the world. And how does he use this to tell them that? He's relying on their memory. Because you see, back then, oral storytelling That was how they remembered. It's called a midrash. They would tell stories of their faith, and ultimately that's how we got scripture in the canon. But they told stories, and they would go back to talk about Abraham and then Isaac 
and Jacob and Boaz and Ruth. But if you read this passage, one of the things that I found interesting, especially when I made the crazy flip chart, uh, was that the whole point that Matthew was trying to make was actually left out of the song that we did this morning. And I didn't catch it until I was going through the family tree. Matthew told this very long list of names on purpose. Because you see, it gave them the bigger picture. And it gave them all of their memories held together. Not just one story for this group or tribe of people and one story here. Matthew laid it all out from beginning to end so that they could see that the lineage, the Jewish lineage, yes, it was very important. And all the men that you heard in the song and you saw on the screen, they were of Jewish tradition. They were Jewish people. But they married, four of them married, well actually five, if you count Joseph and Mary, married outside of their tradition. And there were four women. Why does that matter? Is it just because I'm a woman preacher and I'm trying to do some kind of like woman's lib thing? No. It mattered because you see back then Matthew was writing to a group of people that thought they, they had this grasp on religion and God and that if you weren't a part of of their community then it didn't exist for you and so Matthew was showing them look actually it does it exists for the Jews and the Gentiles and so in the song I, I thought it was interesting the song left out all the women other than Mary. But you see, it matters because Tamar and Rahab and Ruth, and he did reference the wife of Uriah, but those women were pivotal because, you see, they married Jewish men. The other thing, though, that's interesting is when they would remember those women, they were not the most upstanding in society, they would not get like some kind of, you know, Bank of America or Wachovia Woman of the Year award. Most of them had sexual improprieties. They had a shady past. Matthew points them out because you see, Jesus, son of Abraham, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, son of God. If they would look from beginning to end and see all that, they would see and they would learn and they would remember in their memories and see the story and the fullness that comes in being children of God. Because creation starts out here and it's beautiful and Abraham follows this call of God and they, the people inherit this promised land and it is amazing. And so then it, it escalates and it reaches this pinnacle with King David. He is chosen to be a governmental ruler not just a religious ruler, but a governmental ruler. He is the king. He's the royalty. He is the heir. And so he has this kingdom. 
But guess what happens? David was human as well. And so the people, David and the people, they break the covenant. Sin. Remember, is defined as anything that separates us from God. So they have sin. And ultimately, the kingdom, the kingdom of David there in Jerusalem and the temple, it falls. They're destroyed. But what had happened before that was David in his becoming king and becoming this all-powerful ruler, he had started acquiring people. Like when you would take over a territory, you would bring the people into your midst. So again, Matthew is pointing out by using Jesus, son of Abraham, Jesus, son of David. The whole David thing is important because, again, it says that the message is open to all, all people, not just the Jews. The kingdom of God is open to all. Jesus, son of Abraham, Jesus, son of David. Jesus, Son of God, a God of life, a God of love, a God of passion, a God of feeling, and a God that holds us in our times of pain. So this morning, the next time you look at Matthew 1-1, And those names just start to blur on a piece of paper and you're like, oh my goodness, I cannot bear to sit through this. Just know there's a story behind the names. And the story is that God, the creator, the giver of all life, is with us from beginning. Reaching the high points in our lives and then God is with us when we are destroyed, when when we lose the battle, even when we break the promise and when we screw up and we mess up, God is there and God picks us up and then it is culminated in the end, children of God, Jesus, son of God. It's a beautiful story. All those names are memories. Memories the people could hold on to that were actually revealed to them through the person, the baby, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the child. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are the creator, the ultimate creator, the giver of life, and sometimes it feels like we would rather not have our memories because memories are painful. Sometimes memories get in the way of us creating new relationships. Sometimes our memories get in the way of our forgiving others. Sometimes our memories get in the way of us being loved or being a people of love. But because you sent us a a king, a messiah, a Christ, in the form of an innocent little baby who came in the most humble of ways. That child, this child, you show us what it means to be loved and vulnerable and helpless. And you hold us in those times. And just like Jesus taught us to love so that we could then be loved, he showed us through all of his life 
And now we have that memory that we can claim as our own and we can live into the fullness of you in the joy and in the pain. We thank you, God, for that gift, that little child that you gave us. We are grateful. Amen. your baby would one day walk on water, would cause the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dead to live again. Well, you see, 
Don't just think about it literally. Think about it figuratively. The dead to live again. The whole story of Matthew. All that comes together so that the dead, the dead places in our soul, the places where we have no hope, we have no emotion, we have no joy, those dead places can indeed live again in the fullness of Jesus, the son of Abraham. Jesus, the son, the king of David, and Jesus, the son of God. What do we know? Amen.